0: 1 John chapter 5, and we will be reading from verses uh, 6 through 12. So here now, John writes, God speaks. This is He who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. You may be seated. As we kind of set the stage for this passage look at a few facts, if you will, about this passage. Martin Lloyd-Jones, one of the most famous preachers of the 20th century, preached in London, said this about this passage, that it is the most challenging passage in the Bible. So... They do need help in the children's ministry. If you want to go down there, you're welcome to bail out and go. So, no, we've got a, we've got a, a good task on our hands. So, we will, we will seek to make this as simple as possible as we look at it. Secondly, question uh, about this passage that we should point out Does anybody have a, a King James Bible with you? KJV, okay, couple. Any others? All right, don't be bashful. All right. So King James, good Bible, good translation. Uh, On this passage, uh, you might want to put it aside (laughs) Um, because of this little phrase here, all right? So what happened through the years, um, there was a bit of an addition into the King James. Oh, that it were true because you can see the part that's there and you could talk to your friends and say, you you doubt the Trinity? Here's the Trinity loud and clear. But it looks like it was added into the King James to kind of make that point. Trinity, completely true. The King James translation, a little bit off on this one. Don't throw away your King James, not saying that, but for today, get out an ESV. If you don't have one, at the back table, for a minimal price, we have an Adam Power autographed ESV for this service that you can go get. But no, so KJV, good, poetic, wonderful. Just this passage, don't use that part right there, okay? Not saying that the Bible's in error, just that that one translation had this edition that really shouldn't be there. All right, right, third, third point coming into this. We're in February now, so if you think about it, you had a New Year's resolution, maybe. All right. What was your resolution? Something like eat better, exercise better, uh, memorize scripture, something like that. If we were to boil those down, what you're after in any of those resolutions, whether you kept them or not, is simply I'm a, I'm a, I'm a technical guy and I'm pointing this at the screen. I, I'm sorry. Zap it there, but it's working. This is wonderful, even though I'm not doing this right. Put that up. All right, so here's the point of the, the New Year's resolution. It was, it was for life, okay? Better life. That is what this passage is about. This passage is pointing us to where we find life. And the big point, if you get this about the passage, is simply true, meaningful, abundant Ongoing life is found in Christ, and we should do whatever we possibly can to obtain it and maintain it and thrive in it. You get that. You've got the most difficult passage in the Bible, if you can get that. So as we move into the passage, hold on to your Bibles, because we're going to refer to them, even if it is the King James Version. Use that if you need to. But we're going to walk through it, And to set the stage, the word witness or testimony shows up 10 times in the passage, the root word for testimony or witness. So you can think of yourself as the jury. You're going to hear the testimony, evaluate the testimony. Do you believe it? Do you hold to it? What are the consequences? So that's what our outline will be. You need to be studious. Your verdict is quite important. You're going to look at verses 6 through 8, the testimony about Christ. Following that, reasons to accept the testimony. And then finally, consequences, an application. And you can follow along there in the sermon notes. So let's look at verse 6. We jump in, testimony about Christ. Verse 6 Is called by one commentator the most perplexing verse in the Bible. So we got the most difficult passage, and then you got the most perplexing verse. Why? Well, at first glance, it is a little odd. This is He who came by water and blood. Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but water and blood and spirit. And what? What what is going on there? Okay, let's let's zoom in and go slow. So at the beginning, this is He, Jesus who came, came. Let's go to that word, and you'll see why in a minute. It'll help us with the others. Came is simply, in this context, past tense. Jesus came. He already came. He was to come in the Old Testament, in that passage in Deuteronomy, that Adam read, There's there's mention of witnesses, and there's also another passage in Deuteronomy where it talks about a prophet, okay, a prophet to come from Deuteronomy. So he was the prophet to come. Then when Jesus in the Gospel is talking to Martha, she says, "I believe you're the the one who was to come." All right, and then you go to Palm Sunday, coming into Jerusalem. This blesses he who comes in the name of the Lord. But now he came to earth. It's past. He is, he, it's done. So that past tense is going to help us in a minute. Then it says next, the little two-letter word, by. He came by. You came by, Redeemer. You came here this morning by an automobile. That's the way you came via that, that uh, automobile. But in this sense, by means a bit more of if you've got, say, a driver's license, okay? It authenticates who you are. That driver's license proves that you are who you say you are. So in this case, it's saying that Jesus was authenticated. His identity was proven by what? What's next? The water and the blood. Kind of the hard part of the passage. What? Water and blood. What are those? Some would say, the sacraments, you think of baptism, water, Lord's Supper, juice, blood. OK? Uh, so maybe that's it. But that's why that came matters. Those are ongoing. This is saying Jesus came by water and blood. So we're looking for something that happened in the past that authenticates him not something ongoing calvin says that the water and the blood were think of jesus side water and blood came forth right so there's something a little better than that though though it's though it's not far off so we're not saying calvinism's wrong okay we're good presbyterians Calvinism's right and good. Calvin may be not right on this little point, but doesn't mean Calvinism's wrong. So you did not hear that uh, here this morning. What is the water and blood? We're going to go back to Tertullian, way early church father. He points out basically brackets of Jesus' ministry. Water, the baptism of Christ. At the baptism of Christ, the Father, the Holy Spirit. This is God. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Jesus' death and crucifixion, blood, bracketing his ministry. The blood and the water point, this is God. So, go to verse 7 now. For, or because, in other words, it's saying there's agreement. And there are three that agree. In the Old Testament, uh, in in, again, that passage that Adam read where there's witnesses, you didn't want to just take one person's word for something because they could say something. Somebody else could say something else. You got a bit of a contradiction. So you wanted two or three witnesses to agree on something, and then you could uh, uh, believe it. Right. So now when you hear three, when you hear the number three, as good Presbyterians, what do you think of? Trinity. Good Presbyterians. Not the right answer here, but it's coming. <laughs> the Trinity is in this passage. We're going to get there. But in this case, the three is something different. Let's look at it. The three here in verse seven talk about the Spirit, the water, the blood. Okay? So that's again King James tried to make that fit for the, 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 the trinity trinity's in this passage is coming but this is talking about something different we talked about what the blood and the water are the spirit though this is good this is so good it's emphasizing you as the jury get to hear that the point is jesus is the god man fully god fully man Now, you've heard that before. That's in 1 John. That's a recurring theme, super important. But what's a bit different or added here? The Spirit. We get the emphasis of the Spirit. And and, and I love the fact that we get to to emphasize the Spirit. Because so often in our circles now, you know, we feel like if I talk about the Spirit, I can kind of... Tiptoe up to the Spirit and say something about it. But if I say too much, I'm getting kind of Pentecostal. And we can't do that. Well, we've got to be careful. No, this is a good emphasis on the Spirit. The Spirit is not an it. It's a he. The Spirit of truth. The Spirit of truth. John refers to the Spirit of truth throughout the Gospel of John. Here in 1 John, the Spirit brings truth. At Jesus' baptism, at the transfiguration, at uh, an ongoing, at Pentecost, emphasis of the Spirit's truth. And the Westminster Confession says this about the Holy Spirit. Our full persuasion and assurance, very important theme in 1 John, assurance for the believer. Our full persuasion and assurance of the infallible proof is from The work of the Holy Spirit, bearing witness by and with the Word in our hearts. Holy Spirit, super important to our getting it, embracing it, understanding the truth about Christ. So we've looked at the testimony, that first part. You as the jury are thinking about that. But let's stop for a minute for application on that word, testimony. So let's face it, you you think of testimony. What do you think about? You think about giving your testimony. And it can be a little scary about that. Well, I'm kind of nervous about that. When you give your testimony, you're simply saying, this is what I saw. This is what I know. This is the truth. I know Jesus. He is my Savior. We need to share that testimony. Simple. Mark Dever in his gospel and personal evangelism book, points out this. We often conclude, uh, evangelism's not my gift, okay? It's not my gift, it's not my responsibility. He says, well, think of it this way. Mercy, if you see somebody suffering in trouble, and they, do you just say, well, mercy's not my gift, I have no obligation to help them. no. We step into it. We realize it's my duty to help that person who's suffering. Duty in a good way. But then we go to evangelism. We say, ah, duty bad. I'm not going to do that. It's not my gift. points out this. We're called to love others. Share the gospel because you love people. Don't share the gospel you're not loving people. Instead, we wrongly fear them and remain quiet. Pretty convicting. He says, just, just take, take some baby steps. He says, let's plan to stop not evangelizing. Ooh, that's kind of goofy, double negative, right? But at least it gets us thinking. Let me at least plan not to... do what's wrong? Let me take some baby steps towards not avoiding it, to stop making excuses about evangelism. Again, a good but convicting challenge. And then we think about this. We're called to be witnesses. We are witnesses. We're called to be good witnesses. The root word of witness, testimony, that I said shows up over and over again, Martyros. What does that sound like? martyr. If we go back, say, 10 years ago, American church, to think of being a martyr, say, well, I don't know what you're talking about. But now, you can look at the global church, and our brothers and sisters are absolutely martyred for the gospel around the world. American church, American culture, we can see it may be moving closer to that. But for us to embrace life with Christ is worth We might even give up as a martyr. That is a realistic uh, application from thinking about testimony and martyr. So, Jury, now, move to verse 9. You hear the testimony. Will you accept it? What are reasons to accept it? What does John do in the passage? If we look at verse 9, he's going to make a case, what we might call the lesser to the greater. If you're seeking to persuade a child of something, you know, young child, would you be willing to clean the house? Nah. Would you be willing to clean the house because we're having some friends over? Didn't quite work yet. Would you be willing to clean the house because the friends are going to bring their children, you'll get to play with them if you clean the house. Ah, now he gets it and he does it. So you went from lesser to greater in that case. John is doing the same thing here. He says, you don't just have one witness. You don't just have three witnesses. You've got the ultimate witness. The ultimate witness here is testifying. And that is now where we get the Trinity. The Father, Son, Holy Spirit have all throughout Scripture... Given testimony that Jesus is the Christ. He is God. He is God. Fully God. Adam, several weeks ago, did an excellent job walking through Scripture and giving biblical examples of the Trinity. And that is the best proof. Okay, The biblical, we hold the Bible as the ultimate. What I'm going to do this morning is just to supplement, in a sense, A different angle on the Trinity, not as good as biblical, but from an apologetic standpoint, if you will. And here's where this plays out. If you talk to, say, knock on the door, who is it? The Jehovah's Witness or a Muslim friend. What they will point to is they will say, you believe in the Trinity? Dialogue often goes, and you might say yes, because you know you're supposed to say yes to that. How important is the Trinity to you? How oh, very important. So what is the Trinity? What's well, God is three and one. So three? One? What are you talking about? Well, how does that work? And then we so often go to the egg or the water, steam, ice, and you get into what's called modalism, and that doesn't really work, and we kind of mess up. But the good news is, again, we have a case here, because the Trinity is true. Here are some things that you can use, in a sense, to dialogue with that Muslim, with that Jehovah's Witness. First point is just this. Is the Trinity possible? Is it possible to have the Trinity... Biblically, because what the Muslim will do will say they believe in Old Testament first five books, Deuteronomy. They'll point to Deuteronomy 6, and it said, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Christian, you say God is one. How can God be three when God is one? Well, the word for one in the Old Testament there in Deuteronomy 6 is akkad. Akkad allows for composite unity. What do we mean there? Elsewhere in the Old Testament, it says that husband and wife, man and woman, will become one. Akkad. Composite unity. Two in one in that case. Elsewhere, the same word is used for a bundle of grapes and a cod of grapes and a cod of sticks. There is that use of that word that the Muslim is referencing for composite unity. Is the Trinity possible? Yes. Is the Trinity necessary? Think about this. A main tenet of Christianity, of Islam, is that God is perfect. God never needs to change. In all his attributes, they are perfect. So then, Allah, that the uh, Muslim will refer to as, as the monad, so perfect, transcendent, distant, by himself, needs nothing, is basically very unengaged with creation. Yet, with creation, in some sense, Allah had to become relational, had to become in some sense loving, though it's hard to say Allah is loving. But he has to change in some way in that regard. So you're left with a bit of a contradiction that he's perfect, unchanging, but he just changed. The beauty the necessity of the Trinity is that always everlasting, eternal God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit have been relational, have been loving. There's creation. They're now relational with creation. But that didn't change their attribute. God is perfect always. Trinity, possible, necessary, Now, here's an interesting one to think about. Trinity evident. Is the Trinity evident? Dorothy Sayers, back in the early 1900s, gave a beautiful picture for those of you who are a bit more creative and artistic and like to think in these ways. She said that most everything, or so many things in creation have a threefold, a, a triad type of nature to them, reflective of the Trinity here in creation. She took uh, concepts of the mind and metaphysics and so forth. Creative idea, creative idea, in a sense, the timeless nature of the Father. Creative energy, creative energy in time from beginning to end, the sweat and the passion to bring about that idea to the creative power, the meaning of of the work, the response in the soul that experiences it, You have the Father, Son, Holy Spirit reflected in that act. Write a book. The idea, the work to write it, the audience to read it, reflective of the Trinity. And surely we see it in salvation, the work of salvation. The Father chooses before the foundation of the world. The Son expresses, acts to bring about the salvation. And the Holy Spirit makes manifest the salvation in our lives. So we see possibility, necessity, evidence of the beauty, the relevance of the Trinity around us. So now, jury, you need to consider the consequences. You've heard the testimony, the reasons for the testimony, what will you do? But if we look at verse 10... Scripture flips the room in a sense. You're no longer the jury. You're on trial. What will you decide? And evidence is clear throughout history that Jesus is the Son of God. He claimed to be. He died. He rose. It's, it's, it's explicit throughout even biblical references. History proves those three facts in a sense so the trinity as well points it out the baptism the cross pentecost events of the church so if you sit back as a jury evaluating and just saying well you know i'll kind of take the scales here and i'll Weigh this a little bit. That's a .4 point again. Ah, That's about 51%, 49%. Ah, I guess I'll throw my vote in on this side. Yeah, Jesus, God. No, no. Scripture does not allow for that. The passage is saying, this is my only hope. I've got nothing else. I am completely standing The scale is here. If this isn't right, I got nothing. Like like Thomas, where he says, seize, Jesus, my Lord and my God. Peter says, you have the words of eternal life. Where else can I go? Nothing else will give it to me. Christ, you are all. It's not left to us to just, being an academic, sophisticated. Well, okay, in church, I guess I'm I'm good with that. But you know, out in the real world, it's really hard and doesn't quite fit out there. The pastor says, "We do that. We're calling God a liar." Look in verse ten. Two statements. Dud does not even put an and or a but between them because it's saying you got two choices. This is it. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. One, whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. So our decision, it has both an external, objective element to it. You're saying, Jesus, you are who you say you are. I trust in that external, objective fact. Then... What happens is, look at the testimony in himself. Testimony in himself, what is that? It's the beautiful, subjective, feeling-oriented presence, the Holy Spirit in the believer. Teaching, guiding, comforting, convicting, encouraging. You are a child of God. I am with you. The testimony in himself. Our response is faith. Our response is faith. And for John, faith is a verb. There's one time out of 107 times he uses it as a noun. He uses it the other times. It is a verb, faith Jesus, essentially. And 82 of the 107 times, it's a present tense, faith. A present tense, belief, ongoing present belief. Not the, I prayed a prayer when I was a kid, now it doesn't matter because I'm just okay. It's ongoing, present faith. Not saying that we don't struggle, that we don't have doubts. Absolutely, absolutely. But we trust, cling amidst those. And in the Presbyterian church, we don't do altar calls generally. I'm not doing one. John does. John's doing one for us. Look at the passage, verse 12. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Saying You got got two paths. Ain't no middle road. Robert Frost, road less traveled. You got two choices. Pilgrim, Pilgrim's Progress. Choose. You got to choose a path. There is no other. You either choose Christ, embrace Him through the testimony of the Holy Spirit and the Trinity as a whole, or you choose the opposite of trust. Whether that be willful ignorance, apathy, skepticism, hypocritical lip service, hostility, any of those, you're calling God a liar. So when we don't believe, unbelief, we're calling God a liar. Now, kind of focused on the negative side there of what happens when we don't believe. But the choice in verse 12 points to do you have life or not? The beauty of life. In in, in in real life, life happens when you as a Christian are in connection with Jesus. That is where life is. So does it bother you when something is broken? If it's something like a vacuum cleaner, you gotta get that fixed. Or more often now, your smartphone. Okay? That smartphone we think of so often is this is my connection to life that's out there because I can, I got Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, a GPS to know where I'm going. I can even make an old fashioned phone call, but it connects me to life. And if it isn't working, what do you do? You get that thing fixed ASAP because it's your connection to life. All the more, our connection is really ultimately to Christ. And if that is broken, what do we do? We can't stand on the sideline. We gotta do something. Do you have eternal life in Christ? I mean, other questions can wait. What's for lunch today? What's my major? What are we gonna do with the children and their future? Those can wait. This cannot. It's more important than the busted smartphone. For those who have life, who have the eternal life in Christ, remind yourself of that blessing you have. Eternal life. It's quantitative. It lasts forever and ever and ever. It's qualitative. It is the highest kind of spiritual, moral life possible. Life with God in heaven, joy, joy, peace ultimate fulfillment no tears and it's a present possession it's a present possession we only know in part now we taste it we'll feast on it one day with jesus but you say you know what life keeps on going it's hard as i was doing this part right here on on abundant life Daddy, the toilet's stopped up. (laughs) Donna, I'm uh, working on a sermon. (laughs) Go take care of that, please. (laughs) No, Life goes on. There's stopped up toilets. There's problems. There's challenges in life. And we're called to experience full life even now. And you think about it. Do we rejoice in it? Do we thrive in it? Do we embrace it? If you have a homeless person and they're given a meal, they're excited about that. Do we have as much joy as that? We're getting real life. Sad to say, what about the drug addict who gets a hit in the excitement they get and the pleasure they get in that? Are we enjoying eternal life more than that? Or the porn addict? Looking at porn and what they get out of that. Brothers and sisters, are we not experiencing more joy than that when we have real life? So, question. How much do we long for it? Application. You think, feel, or do something different. This one's a feel. A simple feel application. Jonathan Edwards had resolutions, myriad of resolutions that helped him think of God, but then to feel, feel the blessing of his relationship with Christ. This week, just three times, feel, rejoice upon the life that you have in Christ. Give thanks for that. Just baby steps. Let's enjoy that. Together. I need it too. This hits me, brothers and sisters, with you. Let's do that this week. Embrace, feel, give thanks for the life we have in Christ. Pray with me. Lord, it's hard in so many ways because we got so much bad stuff around us that distracts us that needs to be dealt with. And then we got so much good stuff around us in your creation that is good. And that, in a sense, distracts us. But you are the ultimate good. And if you have given us yourself in Christ to redeem us from what distracts us. And in this passage you've shown us that you have given the believer the testimony in himself The Holy Spirit, may we sense the Spirit's promptings this week to rejoice upon the life that we have in Christ. Jesus, we pray that because it's your will, we know that. So we pray it in your name, amen.